Duke's mail. Do you get it? Because only the ones that get it really get it. Your friends get it. Your mom gets it. Your grandma gets it. Your neighbors get it. Sometimes a dog gets it. Get out of there. What else? Uh, your potato salads get it. BLTs get it. Tailgates get it. And restaurants get it, too. By now, even you probably get it. So get it today. Made without any sugar since 1917, Duke's is that little southern something that makes good things better. Get Duke's. It's got twang. This episode and every episode of the Beer Guys Radio Show is brought to you by Ironmonger Brewing. Visit Ironmonger at their taproom in Marietta, Georgia, or online at ironmongerbrewing.com. Open up a tab, grab a seat, and pour a pint. It's time for the Beer Guys Radio Show. You want free beer? Go to the brewery. Dedicated to the art, science, and enjoyment of craft beer. Yeah, what's wrong with the beer we got? Now, here are your hosts, Tim Dennis and Brian Hewitt. Welcome to the Beer Guys Radio Show. We're broadcasting from the Beer Guys Radio Studios in Marietta, Georgia. And this week, we're going to be talking about beer history, Brian. We're going to be talking to Liz Garaby of the Chicago Bruzeum. I'm Tim Dennis, and with me today, as always, is my good friend and co-host, Brian Hewitt. Hey, Tim. So Liz is the executive director of the Chicago Bruzeum. We're going to talk about beer and history, the Beer Culture Summit, and probably a little bit about the uh, Chicago beer scene. Liz, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Liz, do you have a beer right now? Um, I do. What are you enjoying right now? It's it's what's in my go-to pile. Uh, it's a Revolution Fist City. Okay. Revolution will be on the show, I believe, in three weeks, Brian. Yeah, Is that correct? I believe so. So we're going to be speaking to them. We're currently – we've got a bunch of Chicago beers. We thought that was appropriate. So we're oh, having a – yeah, we're having a Hubbard's Cave uh, Fresh IPA V1 right now. And we've got one of your beers that we'll talk about a little awesome. bit later. So we'll get into that. It's going to be a good time. Looking forward to hearing about Chicago beer history. Yeah, it's going to be great. Yeah. Brian, another busy week for us, as always, running around. We're, you know, in America, Oktoberfest ends early in Munich, in Germany. But Americans aren't having that. We're, we're going to Not run it all. for a good solid six weeks here. If the calendar says October, it's we're October still Fest. Oktoberfesting. Maybe yes. even into November a little bit, yes. depending <laughs> on how things fall. But we went down to one of our favorite German places, the Deer Beer Garden, Atlanta, had some excellent, we had schnitzel, Jaeger schnitzel, some Schweinhoxa, Schweinhoxa, bunch yep. of fest beers, Martins and that. So that's always a good time going down there and checking that out. And then we had to go get the Krispies, Brian. That's right. We did. Went over to Halfway Crooks, a uh, new brewery. Uh, I think they're a production brewery by law. Yeah. yeah brew pub ish. But I uh, went over there, got some lagers and more, uh, more Oktoberfest beers because that's how we roll. We were double festing this week. We did do yes, some we double did, festing. So. We sure did. And the, and the Deer Beer Garden uh, Oktoberfest was made by Stats next door to them. And that was really good. That's right. And, yes. And the Halfway Crooks Fest beer was also very nice. And uh, I enjoyed their IPA. I don't think I had an IPA from them before. I don't but, think uh, I had either. That was tasty. That's a yeah. great place just to hang out and uh, enjoy the scenery. So that's that was a good time. Yeah. Yeah. Liz, does Chicago do the extended Oktoberfest parties? Oh, yeah. I think that's a national phenomenon. Yeah. You know, we immediately right. uh, equate Oktoberfest with that particular month. Although, you know, history says different. But um, Chicago has a very rich German heritage, so it's definitely ingrained into our culture and identity. I, well, you can't argue with it. You know, we were talking earlier about, I guess, the closest we have to a, an actual drinking holiday in America, maybe Fourth of July. 
something along those lines. That's a close, but we, we appropriate very well. Yeah, we we're really sure. good at that. Yeah. We're going to take St. Patrick's day. Oh yeah. We're going to take Cinco de Mayo. Absolutely. We're going to do Oktoberfest. Those are American holidays now. I, I, I assume we have scholars looking around the globe, looking for other drinking holidays that we can appropriate to fill up our calendar. Keep filling yeah. them up. Keep it going. You know, uh, St. Patrick's Day and Cinco de Mayo aren't even drinking holidays in those countries or didn't start like it. <laughs> so uh, that, there you I go. Think, That's I think a... the fact that we take uh, these different uh, celebrations and make them our own, which basically means let's get drunk, is says a lot about who we are as a nation. It's beautiful. Yeah. Good old America. And you know, Brian, we did something kind of fun and different this week. We did a pork rind tasting. Oh, yeah. Yes. We did. So we had a gentleman from Rudolph Foods come in. I didn't even know there were craft small batch pork rinds. I I was aware of them. I'd actually seen them and experimented with them a little bit, and they kind of yeah. blew my mind. And they blew them again. It blew it again. It did, yes. My mind has been blown twice. Liz, are those eaten in Chicago? I think that's a more of a southern delicacy. We definitely have them. Um, yes, I, I've seen them quite a bit when I've been in the South, but... Uh, they are very much a part of the uh, Mexican cuisine. So oh, we have sure. a very strong yeah. Latino community. So if you go to uh, any sort of taqueria or any Mexican restaurant, you'll certainly see pork rinds on the menu. Yeah, absolutely. We had these, they lots of flavors. Brian, did you try the Korean kimchi flavored ones? You know, I think I did, Tim. Did. I think was, this isn't the first time you've asked me. It is either. not. These no. are my favorite, but we have sea salt and black pepper. There were I believe a honey chipotle, yeah, and a blackberry habanero pork rinds. The right. blackberry habanero I liked a lot more than I would expect at, yeah. from reading the packaging. You know, the idea I'm like, wait, what? And I'm like, it's actually pretty good. But they even gave us a craft beer pairing guide, and there is, I think it coincides with Super Bowl Sunday. I could be mistaken, but there's a national pork rind day. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> just beautiful that, just there's beautiful. a national day for everything why not pork rinds why not? why not why not i bet you get to drink with it, it yes exactly sure. it's, it's a new drinking holiday you know tim i think we should talk about the beers of the week crack open a cold one it's the truck and tap beer of the week Woo-hoo! craft beer and food trucks in downtown woodstock truck well brian as always we have a great selection of beers as i mentioned earlier we're going to chicago this week we did a little pre-gaming with a non-chicago beer one of our friends just got back from the jbf in denver and he brought us a cerebral tangerine stuff milkshake double ipa so we pre-gamed with that we're sipping the hubbard's hubbard's cave ipa right now we have the collaboration beer between the chicago Museum, the field museum and temperance beer company called all the world is here which is a recreation of the 1893 is that right liz yeah it's inspired by the 1893 world's fair very cool. So we'll talk about that one a little more in depth later in the show. We also have a 2013 Bourbon County brand barley wine, Brian, from Ooh. the cellar. And uh, I think we've got some Hubbard's Cave uh, Stouts as well, correct? Yeah, we've got a, a little couple. pot de creme. Yes, a mocha pot de creme. And I think it's a stout. Actually, I'm not sure. Accident in Hubbard's Cave. Man, I don't I'm know. impressed. Actually, I haven't had those. <laughs> See, it's good stuff. You know, they started distributing the, what is it, Unani and Hubbard's yeah. Cave. Yes. Uh, a, maybe a year ago, two years ago here, Brian. That's about right. And yeah. uh, they, they've come in pretty strong. We get most yeah. of their stuff here now, so we're looking forward to cracking into those. So. Uh, Tim has said that I could not get off uh, off Colors Dino S'mores. I yes. looked really hard for it. Yeah. We get it occasionally, but we struck out on I'm, it. I'm uh, headed there after the podcast, so if you guys need something to send okay. me something, let me know. 
all of the dino smalls. Yes, please. As, as, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, good stuff. Well, Brian, what is happening this week in the news? What's in the news? The beer guys have the scoop. Time for headlines. All right. So we've got some big news, and it's not the greatest of news for, uh, well, it's good and bad, depending on how you look at it. Boulder Beer Company, Colorado's oldest craft brewery, is downsizing, ending their distribution, selling off brewing equipment, and laying off 21 of their 50 employees. Definitely bad news for everybody involved there. So they're going to focus solely on their taproom sales. This news comes just months after the brewery celebrated its 40th anniversary. Gina Day, the owner of Boulder Beer Company, says this move will allow the brewery to operate independently for years to come. That's the good news. By downsizing, they're going to continue to be independent. They would have probably had to sell out or close if they had not. So, yeah, the the good news for people who are sad about this is that you do have until the end of the year to enjoy your packaged shake chocolate porter after that you will have have to head to the brewery in colorado brian i think you grabbed a little shake to bring to the studio today to uh in memory i did yes r.i.p the distribution didn't another wasn't a colorado brewery that did that recently that did the hey we're in distribution we're just going to downsize and do pub only that sounds familiar i bet we see more of that yeah Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. So this week, we also learned that Carlsberg is working on the world's first paper beer bottle. The finished product is still years from being seen on store shelves, but when it's complete, it will be 100% bio-based and fully recyclable. They're calling it the, quote, green fiber bottle. They've unveiled two new prototypes of the bottle. Both are made from sustainably sourced wood fibers and have an inner barrier to allow the bottles to contain beer without messing with the beer. So they, they, there's differences in the liners and they're experimenting with that. On board with the project is also Coca-Cola, Absolute, and L'Oreal. But I have to wonder, will you be able to put these on ice when they're done? I don't know. Brian, you know, I'm all for our planet. I'm a big fan of our planet. Sure. But like the paper drinking straws that they've done, and that's the only paper drinking thing I have to compare to, those are an abomination. They should be outlawed. I hate them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we'll have to see how these uh, these paper beer bottles If you go. drink it quick, they work. But you just drink it quick and throw it away quick. Maybe that's the key <laughs> with the beers as well, right? Shoot them. Just yeah. drink them real quick. Don't, don't let it set there too long. Just get them down. We well, are listening to the Beer Guys Radio Show. We do need to take a break. We'll be back very soon to talk more about the Chicago Bruzee. Have you ever thought about owning your own brewery but don't know what it takes to get one built? We're Storytime Construction, and we build breweries. We're Georgia's most experienced and hands-on contractors when it comes to building new breweries and tap rooms or expanding existing breweries. We offer full build-outs, remodeling, and additions, as well as consulting and construction management. Give us a call at 770-733-4343. Storytime Construction. We build breweries. Follow the Beer Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. Now, back to the Beer Guys Radio Show. Welcome back to the Beer Guys Radio Show. If you miss an episode, don't worry. All episodes are available as a podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcasting app and never miss a show. Now back to our conversation with Liz Garibay and the Chicago Museum. Liz, thanks again for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. 
Absolutely. So the Chicago Bruseum, when I found this, the way we actually found out about this is uh, Becky, who is uh, is with our show here. I believe you've exchanged some emails. She was up in Chicago and saw some notification about it. So very interesting. Nice. Very cool idea. How did the Chicago Bruseum come about? Uh, well, I'm a historian and uh, a museum professional. I've been working in museums since I was in my teens. And, um, you know, I studying history in, in museums and in college and in graduate school, it's very sort of uh, one track, you know, very academic in a way. And um, working in museums, your job is to take a lot of that academic research and translate it into something for audiences. So just being a, a lover of the drink myself uh, and spending a lot of time in bars and in breweries, um, I really just love the fact that if you think about it, beer has always brought people together. It's always been a catalyst um, for for innovation um, and just an array of things. And and you know, it's the reason is because humans have pretty much been drinking since we could walk. So it taking, sounds accurate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. It sounds like my life. Yeah. yeah. So taking all of that sort of into consideration, I really just started to re sort of uh, regroup and refocus my work to look at history through the lens of alcohol. So it's not about so much about here's the history of booze and here's the history of beer. It's more about the social impact, the cultural impact that alcohol has played uh, on human civilization. So that's what I started to do uh, in the late 90s and early 2000s. And then just started to translate it into uh, some work at various museums. And that ended up sort of uh, going from events and programs into exhibitions. And next thing I knew, I realized that there was enough information um, and enough backing for uh, a whole museum uh, about that, that whole aspect of, of beer's role in human life. Definitely worthy uh, of a museum itself. So that's kind of how it was born. You know, that's something we talk about a lot when when people hear that we've got a beer show, they think it's just a bunch of guys sitting around drinking beer, yeah. getting drunk. And, you know, we enjoy the setting around and drinking beer part, but we like the stories like, you know, talking about the Chicago Bruseum and uh, the history, the culture, the science community, the business, uh, every bit of it. You know, there's there's just so much. And uh, we have a local author here, our authors, Ron Smith and Mary O'Boyle, that uh, wrote a book called Atlanta Beer talks about the history here and then they wrote another one about prohibition in Atlanta. It's just fascinating to see, you know, how ingrained in the communities and how important breweries were to the communities in these cities growing up. It's pretty interesting stuff to me. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you really dig deep, there's so many layers to uh beer and alcohol and I mean, it, like name any aspect of of culture and society, right? If you talk about technology, innovation, immigration, crime, uh, economy, politics, I mean, every single thing that you can possibly think of can easily be connected to beer and alcohol, just because like I said, it, it's always just been present and it's definitely been a motivator. Um, you know, one of the things that, that we talk about often with the Bruseum and I talk a lot about with my work is that beer is more than just a beverage. It's a powerful cultural force that has the ability to bring people together and the power to make change. And that's kind of been my mantra through all of this. If you really look at, at beer, you see just an incredibly powerful 
powerful industry. I really enjoyed, I was doing some research for this and I came across a quote from a, an article from a number of years ago. And you said this is alcohol is a lubricant for history. And I thought that was a fantastic quote. I don't know if you remember saying that, but I was very amused by that. I wrote it down. So that's, that's pretty clever. You're full of history, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely one of the things I learned very early on was, you know, I could easily talk about some aspect of beer and beer history and people would be genuinely interested. But the minute that you actually also give them a beverage and you start having a conversation and you treat it like you would, you know, sitting around a, a bar or a pub or whatever, you know, all of a sudden those inhibitions come down, right? Because it's not a lecture. It's not someone throwing out all this information at you. It really just becomes a dialogue. And that was sort of what I meant by alcohol as a lubricant for history. It's not only that it makes history happen, but it also provides people that accessibility to it. Um, you know, it, it's everybody, it's all, all history is, is a bunch of stories, right? And so when we start to sort of uh, just, again, make it a little bit more accessible to everyone, it just becomes more fun. And, and it's, you know, it's a little bit of something for everyone. Sure. Absolutely right. You know, the, I've had, you know, meetings before, to where you bring a beer out. And I, I won't throw this person under the bus and telling them too much, but a business associate of mine that is not involved in my beer business uh, used our studio for a meeting one time. And uh, it was during the work day. And at the end of the meeting, he's like, do you guys have beer here? I'm like, oh yeah, we got a fridge full of beer. He's like, well, can we have one? I said, sure we can. <laughs> we sat here for about an hour just enjoying, you know, enjoying a beer. And it went from a a shirt and tie meeting setting there to the ties loosen a little bit. We're leaned back in the chairs and we're still talking business, but it just relaxed it so much. So yeah, exactly. It, it lets you unwind and really, uh, you know, get around any kind of uh, the structures and the rigor of stuff and get to the heart of matters, which is kind of neat. I'm, I'm curious. So you, it's like you, all these tie-ins to alcohol, to everything, and it's all stories. What are some of your, uh, some of your favorite stories involving history uh, and beer together? and how beer has made a huge impact on what's happening, whether it be Chicago or, or U.S. Or, or, or anything, really. I'm curious. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's, that's almost like trying to pick my favorite beer. <laughs> There's sure. so many good stories. Um, I mean, Chicago, the, the, one of my favorites in Chicago is that um, in – so Chicago becomes an official city in 1837, but in 1833, we become an official township. In 1833, there's probably like – 200 people uh, living in this small township and there's already some folks making decisions uh, for the whole place and they decide that they need to get together and have a meeting and, and talk about the future of the township and so of course what do they do they go have that conversation at like the hottest bar in town called the Saganash Tavern so these fellas get together and they're throwing back ales and porters and whiskey and cider and maybe some rum and they're getting a little tipsy, but having these conversations and at the end of their night, they vote. They vote if Chicago should become a township instead of a village and they they do it. And so Chicago becomes an official township in the bowels of a bar and they, they go back there in 1837, have that same conversation and would become an official city. So the, the city's beginnings are literally in, in the bar, not once but twice. I love that the way Chicago became a town was a bunch of guys <laughs> yeah. sitting around having some drinks. They're like, let's vote. Let's do this. 
So. You know, they got courageous as the night got, went on. They were like, they were probably favoring the uh, the village or whatever. Oh, let's be safe. Let's stick to the village. And as it went on, it's like, come on, we can do it. Let's we be a township. Do this. We, we can, can do, do it. Do this. Absolutely. That's definitely one of those moments where, you know, I wish I could go back in time and, and pull up a stool and, and just, you know, listen in and what's going on. I do that all the time. You know, here here in Atlanta, we have, I know it's it's highly contested, but there's a lot of history in Atlanta, of course, with the Civil War and that, with a lot of the sites we have, I just wonder about the conversations that have been had there and the people that walk those paths, kind of what happened in the past. Sure. Be very interesting. Well, Liz, we've got about a minute left here, and I tell you, this seems like a good time. We have opened up All the World is Here. Nice. So can you tell us, it seems to kind of fit the time frame we're talking about right now. Can you tell us about this beer and how this came about? Yeah, so uh, 1893, Chicago hosts a massive World's Fair. It's really important to the whole development of the city and the future of the city. We just suffered a, a massive fire. So big, big moment for us. And the Field Museum, our great partner, was born out of that fair. So when we decided that we would collaborate on a beer, we decided that we needed to be inspired by the stories and some of the ingredients that were represented by the, the beer industry at the 1893 World's Fair. So that's what you're holding. So all the world is here uh, is at, was actually a motto for the fair. So that's what we went with. Very cool stuff. And I'm a fan of cream ale. So I love this. I enjoy this one a lot. You're listening to the Beer Guys Radio Show. We do need to take another break, but we'll be back very soon to talk more Chicago Bruzea. Is your brewery or restaurant pouring all jacked up? Your foundation needs to be protected from heat, chemicals, and other contaminants. At the same time, you want to make sure it's slip resistant and you can clean up your messes with soap and water. You know who to call? ResTech. We've been manufacturing poured-in-place flooring since 2002, and we've got solutions to fit any facility's needs. Go on and visit our website at ResTech.net. That's R-E-S-T-E-K.net. Drop us a line and we will come to you for a free evaluation. Oh, yeah. Craft beer forged with a reverence for tradition and new styles that start a revolution. Ironmonger Brewing. The brewers at Ironmonger Brewing pride themselves at being masters of barrel-aged, hoppy, and sour beers. They invite you to their tap room in Marietta, Georgia to taste and see. Also visit their barrel room for an intimate drinking experience with great live entertainment. Keep up to date on all things Ironmonger by liking them on Facebook. Ironmonger Brewing. Establishing a new standard in craft beer. As a brewery owner or taproom manager, are you looking for ways to enhance your customer experience while maximizing your revenues? Craft Seller is a mobile solution that helps your brewery drive sales and attract new customers through online pre-sales for beer releases, events, and memberships. Get details now at craftseller.com. Mention Beer Guys Radio after sign-up and extend your free trial to a full 30 days. Remember, craftseller.com, C-R-A-F-T-C-E-L-L-R.com. Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Now, back to the Beer Guys Radio Show. Welcome back to the Beer Guys Radio Show. I want to give a quick shout out to one of our great radio affiliates, KENN 1390 AM and 92.1 FM in Farmington, New Mexico. Catch Beer Guys Radio on KENN every Saturday at 10 p.m. local time. Now, back to our conversation with Liz Garaby 
and the Chicago Museum. Liz, as we mentioned just before we went to the break, we are sipping the All the World is Here, your collaboration with Temperance in the Field. And Brian, I think you said you had a, a quick follow-up question on this beer, right? Yes, yes. So when I was reading about it, I saw that it was, quote, made with this, some of the ingredients that were once mm-hmm. on display at the fair. And I'm like, what ingredients were on display at the fair yeah. that would go into a beer now? <laughs> Well, what people um, sometimes don't know is that beer, the beer industry was really sort of main stage at that fair. There were different buildings where you could walk into and focus on a different, you know, topic of study. And there was one building called the Agricultural Building, where basically breweries just had all of these like displays out. So it was almost like a walking like a trade show, right? You'd walk up and down the hallway and, and you'd see, you know, the display from, you know, maybe Pabst Brewing Company or from for Valentine Blatt's or, you know, any sort of brewery. And um, part of that too was, was people exhibiting some of the ingredients that they might use in their beer. So uh, I, I dug through the different botanical sort of archives uh, of the Field Museum and um, looked at some of the records and found that uh, two row Chevalier malt barley was on display at the fair. And so that's used in the beer. I'm trying to think of what else that was in there uh, that we ended up using. I, I gave the the temperance uh, brewers a, a long list of different options and said, here, you guys know what will work and what won't. And that's what they ended up doing. But yeah, the two row Chevalier malt barley was a really nice um, backbone for the whole beer. It turned out really nice. We're getting the response we're getting from it is, is pretty outstanding. Yeah, we're fans. Is there anything that's unique specifically about that Chevalier two-row? No, I think that um, I know that it was one of the first times that people were able to actually look at the actual specimen to see what it looked like, which was a little bit of a novel thing, which is really the point of the whole fair is being able to display these things that, you know, the ordinary person uh, might not have access to. And so that is is definitely uh, an ingredient that's out there now. So Temperance is really excited to, to go source it and use it for the beer. That's really interesting stuff. I, I, I'm curious about it too. I'm wondering if it's been in other beers. I got to ask, why did you go with this style of beer? It's a, it's a cream ale. It's, it's a, an interesting thing. And uh, it's a good choice. Tim likes them, but uh, I do. it's yes. not a common choice. So No. Well, you know, during this time period, there are certainly a lot of uh, beers being made with a variety of different ingredients, right? The beginnings of adjunct lager are, are sort of in, in, in this uh, moment of, of history. And so we kind of uh, just went with a cream ale, a little bit of a, a nod to, to that sort of diversity and the use of new ingredients, but also because I think we all just really like cream ales and we think they don't really have their their due time, their due justice. Uh, it's also a confusing name, right? Because it's not really an, an ale as you would think of it is. So we kind of were just having some fun with it. And um, one other thing that for me, I think was a big factor and certainly for the Field Museum is that, you know, beer has to be sort of a little bit of some not you know if you're if you're really niche then that's great for make a specific style of beer but for the field museum who has you know hundreds of thousands of people coming through those doors got to have something for a lot of those different palettes uh, sure. so we definitely wanted to do something that was a little bit more everyday drinking and different than sort of some of the things that they had been doing in the past 
the triple milkshake fruited IPA may not be the best. <laughs> yeah, they have some. They have some. The yeah. Field Museum has some really um, hoppy IPAs as part of their repertoire recently, um, and so they definitely wanted to kind of steer away from that a little bit. And again, I was excited to be able to focus on this style. Good they stuff. become more awesome. approachable if you put them in a slushy machine. That's what I <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, well, Liz, the Chicago Museum. Now, here's something. When I first started looking up information on it, I thought the Chicago Museum was a thing, a place. Yeah. Well, the Chicago Museum actually encompasses quite a bit, with part of that being the exhibition at the field, but a lot more to it, correct? Correct. Yeah, we're certainly a national organization, a nonprofit and you know the goal is to one day have a 30,000 square foot facility with three exhibition spaces, event space, a rooftop beer garden and of course a brewery. But you know starting a museum and, and doing it right is is not the easiest thing of getting from point A to point Z. So having that museum background and, and doing a lot of uh, programming uh, in, in my repertoire that's how I, I knew we needed to start. And so I, I sort of reached out to a lot of cultural partners um, that I had worked with for, for decades and just said, hey, here's what I'm doing. Um, I've got a great team behind me. And, and would you guys consider doing things with us? And everybody was incredibly supportive. And, and what turned to be like a really kind of local story or local endeavor quickly went regional and then quickly went national. And the national support we've we've gotten has been quite amazing to see. Um, we've done things in Washington, D.C. and in New Orleans. Uh, we just opened a month-long exhibition uh, about glass, beer glassware in Seattle. Yeah, and so it's really kind of been a, a, a definitely a national endeavor, and, and that's definitely key to what we're doing is that we're not just focused on Chicago's beer stories. We're certainly focused on the American beer stories out there. That's interesting. A glassware exhibition in Seattle uh- – just yeah. different styles of glass throughout the history? Yeah. So um, there's a great organization in Seattle called the Pilchuck Glass School. So there's a famous glass blower named Dale Chihuly. And he and a couple other people started this kind of rogue glass making school back in the 60s. And now it's grown to this being this internationally renowned uh, organization. And I'm pretty good friends with their executive director. And, and we were chatting about how to collaborate and so myself and Randy Mosher, who's on our national advisory board, uh, met with them and we basically just consulted on historic beer glassware through time and selected, uh, I believe it was six, six different beer glassware that uh, has been around for a long time and told them stories and, and just, you know, handed it over to some of their artists. And then their artists blew new glassware that were sort of modern interpretations of the past. And those were all on display and people could go buy them. And it was awesome. I have not exactly beer glass, but related, but I have a small collection of historical Georgia beer bottles. Uh-huh. And I, th- I think my oldest one is 1880s, but it's from the Atlanta, I think Atlanta Brewing Company or Atlanta, or Atlantic Brewing Company. Atlantic Brewing is, Company. Yeah. But, you know, the clear glass bottle with the embossed. And I've got some from the 1940s and that. But I say small collection. It's like six bottles, but they're. They're really cool, and and the way I've got them spaced out, they kind of tell the story of the history. You can use the bottles to go through the different you know time frames of Georgia beer there, so it's kind of a cool. Cool, thing. yeah. 
It's neat. Yeah, absolutely. Now you're uh, speaking of this as being, you know, a national international thing. You have an exhibition at the field right now, which am, am I correct, Liz? That runs through January of 2020. Actually, we'll be making an announcement very soon, but I'll, I'm happy to make it here. Make uh, it here. We are officially extending that exhibition at the very field cool. museum. Okay. Into July, 2020. So awesome. another Excellent. six months. Now that the display at the field that does deal mainly with Chicago's brewing history. Is that right? Yeah. So we had a, a very small space to work with. So I really wanted to be specific about our discussion within that exhibition space. So we start in 1833, the story that um, some of the story I told you before, and then we end in 1893 with the World's Fair only again, because it made sense that we would end there because that is where the Field Museum was born out of. The Field Museum um, basically after the World's Fair was all said and done, its funder Marshall Field said, hey, you know what? We have all this stuff. Let's start a museum. And so that's how the Field Museum was born. So it tells a story of beer during 1800s Chicago and, and sort of how it grows alongside the growth of the city as, as a whole. And really the most important part, I think, is is how the immigrant story played a key to both of those things. Now we've got longer to plan our trip to Chicago, Brian. Exactly. Yeah, stretch it out by out. another six months or so. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you're listening to the Beer Guys Radio Show. We do need to take another break, but we will be back very soon to talk more with Liz Garibay about the Chicago Blues Team. Brian and Tim, the beer guys. If you're like us, no lunch or dinner is complete without a pint or two of craft beer. Which is why Truck and Tap in downtown Woodstock, Alpharetta, and Duluth are always on our list. Tim, why do they call it Truck and Tap? Well, the tap part is easy, Brian. They've got 18 of them. As for the truck part, that's where it gets interesting. Truck and Tap features your favorite Atlanta area food trucks, so you're getting a different menu every day. Truck and Tap in downtown Woodstock, Alpharetta, and Duluth. Truckandtap.com. Let them know that the beer guys sent you. Follow the Beer Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. Now, back to the Beer Guys Radio Show. Welcome back to the Beer Guys Radio Show. If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash beerguys. Patrons get cool perks like Beer Guys swag, commercial-free episodes, and even bonus episodes that aren't available anywhere else. That's right, Brian. Yes. We've got a new one this week. Oh, did- we did. We did a weird beer news episode. Brian. Oh, that's right. I was there talking to the crazy. There was alligators involved. Uh, there was and all kinds of stuff. So check that out. If you're a Patreon supporter, it's out there waiting on you right now. Go there now. Well, Liz, I wanted to ask you something. Brian, you actually brought this to my attention. Yes. I did. You found this information on the Internet. The Lager Beer Riots of 1855. <laughs> that's a story, Liz, we've got to hear. <laughs> OK, well, it, it goes like this. <laughs> 18, Mid-1850s, uh, Chicago, the Midwest, and, and a big part of our country was inhabited by a slew of different kinds of immigrants. Uh, the majority of those, spe- specifically in the Midwest, were German. We have a very rich German heritage. If you think about it, right, you think about sh- cities like Chicago, Milwaukee, St. Louis, Cleveland, Cincinnati, we all have that very strong shared German heritage. And at this point in time, we already had people who had these very anti-immigrant sentiments. And because the majority of those people were German uh, living here. It was the Germans who were sort of getting attacked. And Germans, of course, as we know, 
knowing like, celebrating Oktoberfest and, and, and drinking lagers and beer, there's something that they call that part of their culture is called fest culture, fest, you know, festival culture. Basically, it's just you're sitting around in a beer garden drinking beer, and festive culture is just you know part of of their identity. And so, all of a sudden, anyone who was living in the United States and had those anti-immigrant sentiments uh, were really kind of attacking not only the Germans but their culture. And so, beer was a part of that. So, in Chicago, we had this mayor named Levy Boone who was anti-immigrant and part of a of a party called the American Party, also known as the Know Nothing Party. And um, he basically just wanted to do something to hurt uh, these different immigrant groups. And many of them, as I mentioned, uh, were affiliated with alcohol, with beer. And if you weren't making beer or if you weren't selling beer in a bar, you were certainly drinking it. So that's what he kind of went after. So he did two things. First thing he did was to make it illegal for any bars to be open on Sundays. So this is a time period where you have people working 12 to 14 hours a day, six days a week. So you know, what do we all want to do on our day off is drink. Um, and all of a sudden uh, right. they couldn't do that. Right. So that's some, the first thing he does. And the second thing he does is he tries to raise liquor license fees from $50 a quarter to 300 a quarter. So really significant. Ouch. Yeah. Really significant uh, spike in fees. So like any good tavern owners, many of them decided that they were not going to close down or pay the fees. And so they were arrested and taken to, to trial. And so that trial happens in April of 1855. And what ends up happening is a lot of these different immigrant groups start to organize themselves for the first time, really. And they basically plan to attack, to attack City Hall and attack the mayor. And all these different things happen sort of leading up to that moment. It really is a complicated and a very interesting story. But what happens is folks descend upon um, City Hall and a riot ensues and punches are thrown, shots are fired. At least one guy dies. And that becomes known as the Lager Beer Riot of 1855, Lager Beer, because that is what people are drinking. And it really is sort of something that is rooted in people's freedom to drink. So this is sort of a major moment in our city's history because it's the first moment of civil unrest for the city of Chicago. And the other thing for me, I think more importantly, not just as a historian, but as a Chicagoan, is that the next year, Levy Boone is up for re-election and all those immigrant groups stay organized. And so they actually go to the polls. People weren't voting at the time. Men weren't voting at the time. And so they stay organized, they go vote, and Levy Boone is not re-elected. So for me, the 1855 Lager Beer Riot is not only Chicago's first moment of civil unrest, but it really is the beginnings of Chicago's identity as a political machine. So it's really important and it's all related to beer. And it's definitely a story that we tell in our exhibition. And it's such a complicated story. We decided to make a video out of it. And we actually got actor, local actor, Michael Shannon to do the narration for us. Very oh, cool. really? Cool. Yeah. You know, that's talking about that with the, the German history and that since you mentioned it reminded me, I watched the Ken Burns prohibition document. Oh yeah. And he talks a lot in, in there about, you know, there were, they used every angle they could either to get the temperance folks on their side or to get people on the side, you know, depending on their political leanings with that. And so they went, they went to the German communities and said, they're attacking your culture here. This is attacking our culture, you know, and you had people like a uh, little fella, Augustus Bush, yeah. And, uh, yeah. and those guys that that, <laughs> that, guy, that said, hey, they're attacking our cultures here. And it obviously worked out OK for the, the Bush and Anheuser families. Yeah, a lot of those uh, a lot of those brewers um, and brewery owners ended up getting very, very much involved in politics after that whole incident. So definitely, definitely sort of was a catalyst for 
for the the beer industry and anyone involved with it to sort of bring their hands together and say, hey, you know, we're going to we're going to fight back. And so definitely a major moment, not just in Chicago history, but American history. It's definitely a matter of survival. But that brings us to and this is a topic you're going to cover in the upcoming Beer Culture Summit, right? Yeah, there's definitely a session that will allude to it for sure. And that's and that's happening October 24th through the 27th. And yeah. uh, it's it's a multiple day thing with a, a lot of guest speakers. Is that right? Yeah, we're bringing in dozens of folks from all over the country, the summit. So the Beer Culture Summit is kind of like a mashup of an academic conference, a museum conference, a beer industry conference, and something for the public. You know, having been to all of those kinds of conferences, they're all very unique and very different, but they're also very isolated, right? We share information with a lot of the same people and I noticed that there's a lot of overlap in topics that we all discuss. And so, you know, for me, it's like, how can we all sort of bring all of these things to light, but use beer as the common denominator? And so that's kind of what the summit is. And I was really excited because um, one of the first people I had a conversation about doing this with was Teresa McCullough, the beer historian at the Smithsonian. And uh, when I was telling her about my idea, she's like, this is a great idea. Let's do it. Let me let me help you do it. I'm excited that the Beer Culture Summit is being presented in collaboration with the Smithsonian's National Museum of American History. And it literally is a four-day affair where uh, opening night is at Goose Island Barrel House and John Hall, who's on our board of directors, will have a chat with everyone. Um, and Goose is going to bust out some special rare beers, maybe things that are aged in barrels. Then the next day, we're going to do sessions at the Field Museum with an array of different folks. Uh, Ray Daniels from Cicerone, Randy Mosher, Travis Rupp. Uh, Ryan Williams from the Field Museum. Teresa, of course, will be a part of that. That night, we're having a big party at Metropolitan Brewing. We're releasing another historic narrative beer based on the research of Dr. Jennifer Jordan in Milwaukee. And then the next day, we're doing more sessions about diversity and inclusion at the Chicago History Museum. There's Internet Sensation. Uh, Afro Beer Chick will be a part of that. Uh, the Beer Babe cool. is moderating. Um, yeah. And then that night, we're having another party and conversation about couples and beer. It's called For the Love of Beer, and Kate Bernat from The Takeout is monitoring that for us. And then on Sunday, we wrap it up with things happening all over the city, all different bars, different breweries. Uh, it's just, it's kind of like, it's going to be a, a really good time that sort of is a, is a great mix of beer history, culture, education, and uh, partying. That sounds like a lot of work to put on, Liz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been a little consumed this year with yeah, the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I have a hard time, you know, organizing my, organizing my own calendar, so then, you, you know, have 35 people involved. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and getting them to Chicago too. Right. So. Sure. Exactly. That's we'd mentioned earlier. We had Travis Rupp on the show talking beer archaeology yes. a month or two ago, I guess. Wasn't that long ago. Was Wasn't it? that long ago. You have to go listen to him talk. Seriously. Yeah. Check it out. Oh, yeah. It's good stuff. Now, Liz, we've got to ask this before we get done here. This isn't beer, but a Chicago famous alcoholic beverage. Malort. <laughs> yeah. Malort. Are you pro or anti Malort? I like Malort. Okay. All right. <laughs> I don't like shots of anything. I'm a big fan of sipping my spirits and I actually don't mind sipping Malort. You guys need to come to Chicago and go to a bar called Patty Long's where the guy who actually runs Malort um, works and, and sort of is responsible for reviving Malort. You also have to go to Metropolitan Brewing where Malort is the only thing besides beer that is available to you. Um <laughs> Uh, it really is part of who we are. I, I think most people will agree that you can't agree whether you like it or not. <laughs> That's um, fair. I know what you mean. Sure. Yeah. But certainly a very Chicago thing for sure. Our, you know, our drink is um, 
everyone, you know, you go to a different uh, city and, and you have different kinds of drinks, like a Manhattan or a Sazerac or whatever. In Chicago, it literally is a beer and a shot and it has to be an old style and a shot of Malort. I have seen that, yes, actually. I've seen the Boilermaker, yeah. The Chicago Handshake is what it's called. Oh. Good stuff. <laughs> well, Liz, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. If folks want to hear more about what's going on with the Chicago, Chicago Bruseum, how would they do that? Yeah, you can visit our website, which is chicagobruseum.org, or uh, follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, we are at Shy Bruseum. And then we're also on Facebook, and we post all of the stuff we're doing on all of those platforms. Excellent. Sounds good. Thank you much, Liz. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Well, that about wraps it up for this episode of the Beer Guys Radio Show. Coming up next week, we're heading to South America, Brian. We are? Wow. Virtually. We're oh. virtually heading to South America. We're going to talk with Peru's Chelawasi Beer Company. For more craft beer info, follow us online. We are Beer Guys Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks again for tuning in. Have a great week, and don't forget to drink Malort. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> Duke's Mail. Do you get it? Because only the ones that get it really get it. Your friends get it. Your mom gets it. Your grandma gets it. Your neighbors get it. Sometimes a dog gets it. Get out of there. What else? Uh, your potato salads get it. BLTs get it. Tailgates get it. And restaurants get it, too. By now, even you probably get it. So get it today. Made without any sugar since 1917, Duke's is that little southern something that makes good things better. Get Duke's. It's got twang.